I want you to look in your book tonight to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And uh, I want to speak on the topic. I won't even consider it taken from the 19th verse of Romans chapter 4 and being not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. Now in verse 11, he is called the father of all them that believe. He is the father of the faithful. In verse number three, we find his first faith opportunity. I like to call it uh, the salvation faith for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now here's a man that was a liar. Here was a man that had been immoral. Here's a man that got it under the blood. Verses seven and eight saying, blessed are they. Now I'm gonna tell you something. If you can't shout on something in the Bible, (laughs) you need to get saved saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's what's happened to a child of God. Then he had a second opportunity to exhibit his faith when it came to relocation. In Hebrews chapter 11, The Bible talks about him looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Now I'll say this to you, the closer you get to God, the farther you'll be willing to go with God. You know, I've been to a, I don't, a long, long time ago, I won't tell you why, but I quit going to Kmart. And I haven't been to a Kmart store and probably 27, 28 years, I got upset about something that went on and I quit going to Kmart. And matter of fact, because I quit going to Kmart in our town, ours went out of business. I must have done a lot of work there. But you know, the average Christian in America is more attuned to be like in a Kmart store when it says, attention, Kmart shoppers in such and such an aisle is the blue light special than we are to thus saith the Lord. Now there's another opportunity for him to show his faith when it came in regard to dedication. When you know the story uh, from Genesis 22 when he went to offer Isaac. Now he knew the cost of offering that boy because he had already turned his back on his oldest son by the name of Ishmael and left him in the desert under a tree with Hagar. But I want to talk to you tonight about faith in reproduction. And in verse 19, we already read part of it, in being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I want you to consider this tonight. He disregarded his past unbelief. In verse number 20, it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. 
God had told him, you're going to have a son. Well, I'm too old to have a boy. Uh, Sarah, she laughed. She thought it was a humorous thing. I want to say to you tonight, when faith is about to insert itself, we must completely disregard our unbelief. Never let your doubt defeat your faith in God. We can rejoice more in God's promises than when the results are actually produced. We need to learn how to thank God, to praise God for his promises. Verse 20, he gave glory to God, not for Isaac, but for the promise of Isaac. Now, Abraham had the same problem and Sarah had the same problem that we have sometimes. We want to help God out. And Sarah laughed about that, said, no way in the world you were going to have a baby. Take Hagar. Uh, Take my handmaid. I know it's not your fault, Abe, that we're not having kids. It must be my fault. And so, you know the story. They had the Ishmael out of the will of God. And Israel tonight is still dealing with the offspring of Ishmael because of this lack of faith on the part of this great couple. I want to say, I'm going to say it twice because I think it needs to be emphasized. Don't let your Ishmael's birthed in doubt keep you from producing Isaacs in faith. I was preaching some time ago in a distant state. I won't tell you what it is. But a man had committed adultery. A man in the church had committed adultery. His wife had forgiven him. He'd gone before the church and they had forgiven him. God had forgiven him. Uh, Everyone that needed to be, uh, to express their forgiveness had forgiven him and he wanted to get back serving God and they allowed him to get back after some time of uh, getting right and getting things all squared away. You say, aren't you a little worried about him? No, I'm more worried about people who are unrepentant. Keep on doing what they're doing. Don't even ask to get right with God. Don't even, will not submit to the authority of the local church and getting right with God. In 1977, I can hardly believe this myself, but a church in northern Michigan in a beautiful part of northern Michigan, Traverse City, Michigan, They called me one day and they said, our pastor has resigned and uh, we feel like uh, your name has been put in uh, the hopper and uh, we'd like to have you come up and candidate to be our pastor. Well, I didn't think much of it. I wasn't interested in pastoring at the time, uh, but I went just to be courteous and uh, just to go up to that part of the state and uh, spend a weekend and I had in 1977, I had a 1970 Dodge Swinger. One of the ugliest cars ever made in the history of the world. It was pea green. Not not, uh, frozen pea green, but tan pea green. Ugly pea green car. It didn't have an air conditioner. 
It didn't have a radio. You had to crank the windows all by yourself. And uh, I had bought that car, and that was my car. And I, I wasn't embarrassed about the car. I was thankful for the car. But it was an ugly car. My father-in-law, he worked at Oldsmobile. Now, you young people don't even know what an Oldsmobile is. But that was a General Motors car. They don't make them anymore. And my father-in-law had worked there. He worked there for 41 years at Oldsmobile, and he always had a beautiful brand-new automobile. And so in 1977, he had a 76, uh, 98 Oldsmobile. It was baby blue with a white vinyl top. It had push-button windows, had an air conditioner. I mean, what everybody has nowadays. But that was relatively uh, unique back in 1977, 1976. I mean, that car was about as long as one section of this auditorium. It had a hinge in the middle so you could make the corners. I mean, it was a long boat. And I asked my father-in-law, I'd never asked him before. I never asked him since. I, I said, uh, sir, do you mind if uh, I borrowed your car? He said, oh, that'd be fine, Tim. So we drove my father-in-law's 1976 baby blue white vinyl top 98 Oldsmobile up to that church in Traverse City, Michigan. They, I remember it. We, we, they put us up in a hotel right on uh, Grand Traverse Bay, beautiful spot. The rich guy in the church, he took us out, wined us. Well, he didn't wine us, but he dined us. And uh, boy, I tell you, we, they treated us like kings. I remember pulling that car, that 98 Oldsmobile, onto the parking lot. It was a limestone parking lot. I pulled onto that parking lot, parked that thing, before I could get the door open, there was men standing around there and they said, man, what a car. What a beautiful automobile. I got out of the car, said, it sure is pretty nice. I didn't think that, you know, I tell them it was my father-in-law's car. I wasn't hiding anything. It didn't really matter to me. And I preached there all day on Sunday. We went home on Wednesday afternoon. They, excuse me, on Thursday afternoon, they had voted on me Wednesday night. I got 98% of the vote to come and pastor that church. Now, I was dumb, a lot dumber than I am now. And I had it in my mind that if it was the will of God, I had to have a 100% vote. Now, I realize now if you get 100% of the Baptist to agree on anything, it must be wrong. I was working for a film company a little bit at that time making Christian films and I'd made a commitment and I, I kind of used that as an excuse and, and I said, well, I really can't, I can't do it. I can't come. And I'm going to say this. I believe in 1977 that that was probably the will of God for me to take that church and to be its pastor. But I didn't take it. And uh, they, they communicated with me and they uh, back and forth it went. And when I got, when you got right down to the reason that I didn't take that church, it went through my mind. You know, if I go back up there, we got two little boys and we'd bring our nothing up there. My father-in-law's not going to give me that car and I'm going to have to drive that 1970 Dodge Swinger up there. And when I pull into the parking lot, they're not going to come out and say, oh, what a car. They're going to come out and say, yuck, get this bucket of bolts off our property. And from, from my perspective, looking back, I missed the will of God for my life in 1977 for one reason. You know what it was? 
One word. Pride. Pride. Young preacher, miss the will of God because of pride. Proud. Embarrassed. So you know what? Since 1977, I've never done anything. I just quit preaching. I threw in the towel. Hey, if you mess up, don't let that stop you from doing the will of God the rest of your life. Don't let your Ishmael's keep you from producing Isaac's. Disregard the past so you can produce in the midst of God's promises for your future. Now I want you to consider this. He disregarded the weakness of those that he was associated with. You know, it's easy to blame others for our lack of faith. It's easy to blame others for our failures in faith. In verse number 19, it says the deadness of Sarah's womb. It's Sarah's fault. Her womb was dead. It's impossible to have a baby. That was true. Her womb was dead. But in the light of the word of God, that meant nothing. You know, sometimes the people we reach keep us from reaching other people. Now, when I was asked to go candidate at that church, I was working for my father in 1977. I just had started preaching some revival meetings in 76. And uh, I was working there and we had the bus ministry and I, I was kind of overseeing that. We had 10 old cruddy buses. You know what some old church buses used to be like. And you say, what were they like? I'll tell you what they were like. In January in Michigan, 25 below zero every single Sunday, snow six feet deep. I'll tell you what it was like. It was like Hades, but cold. That's what it was like. It's horrible. And I remember, and one thing about church buses, they, they broke down. I would say 10 or 12 buses. You know, you had two buses for parts to put on them other buses. But uh, they would inevitably, inevitably break down at the farthest point of the route. Get way up north part of the town, they'd break down. Have 20, 30 kids on a bus, whatever. And you'd have to go up there. I'd drive up there in that 19... 19- 70 Dodge Swinger and throw about 15 kids in the back seat and in the front and try to get them to their houses and then I'd have to call uh, the towing company was a company called Schroyer's. Now I'm going to tell you, I, I guarantee you in 1970s, I probably knew 100 to 125 phone numbers. I knew a lot of preacher friends' phone numbers. I knew a lot of people in the church's phone number. I don't know five phone numbers tonight because you don't have to know them. You can get them on your cell phone. But I can remember Schroyer's phone number, 8820288. I'll never forget it. It's indelibly imprinted. I know it like I know my social security number. You say, why? I had to call it every Sunday for years. And I called Schroyer's. They came, hooked up the bus. Somebody else took my car. I jumped in the cab with the, Schroyer's guy, his name was Tom, and we drove all the way back. Took about 30, 40 minutes. I witnessed to him most of the way back. When we got in the parking lot at the church, he bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and save him. 
The next Sunday morning, he was at church. The next Sunday night, he was at church. The next Wednesday night, he was at church with his wife. The next Sunday morning, he was at church. The next Sunday night, he was at church. The next Wednesday night, he was at church. The next Sunday morning, he was at church. The next Sunday night, he wasn't at church. The next Wednesday night, he wasn't at church. The next Sunday morning, he wasn't at church. The next Sunday night, he wasn't at church. I went and visited him that week. I said, Tom, we missed you the last few services. I was a lot dumber then. I've already told you that, and I am now. I said, boy, we really missed you. He said, "Uh, does so-and-so go to your church? I said, yes, he's there just about every Sunday. He said, if that's all there is to Christianity, he said, I did dope with that guy the Saturday night before I got saved. Now, that guy that he did dope with has never gotten saved. His wife's a good Christian lady. Matter of fact, she called my wife within the last couple of weeks about something. They live in Michigan. Oh, they were coming through Cincinnati. Uh, but I was sick, sick about as sick, not as sick as... I'm less sick now than I was then, but I'm still sick. But uh, I didn't want to see him. They didn't want to see me either. That guy hadn't been saved. That was over 30 years ago. Still not saved. Listen, just because... Just because somebody doesn't live for God and somebody messed up and it affected somebody else, that ought not to stop us from endeavoring to win people to Jesus Christ. Abraham, he had Lot. There's quite a guy. There was Hagar. There was Ishmael. Sarah wasn't all that great. God help us to disregard the weaknesses in others when it comes to living a life of faith. Then he disregarded his own past weaknesses. Now, I'm not attempting to be X-rated at all, but I assume Abraham and Sarah knew how to have a baby. And they had tried to have a baby the way you have a baby. They would have romantic weekends. He would buy her flowers for Valentine's Day. You know, all of that stuff and try to get her in the right mood so we can have a baby. He knew it wasn't his fault. I mean, Ishmael was the evidence. It wasn't my fault. You ever go go out visiting? Now, we had 40 people went out Saturday and made 47 calls and then uh, looked like Noah's flood, I guess, was about to reenact itself. You ever go soul winning when nothing happened? So what? Go again. You ever prayed and seemed like the heavens were pressed? So what? Pray again. Man, I'd hate to think that I was one prayer from getting what God wanted me to have. Or one more, one more house to visit. And souls would have been saved. There's a certain type of bamboo in the Orient that for four solid years there was not one iota of evident growth. But it grows in the fifth year. It grows 90 feet in 60 days. Sometimes we look at people and we look at spiritual endeavors and we don't see much going on. But I'm going to say to you tonight that God is still God. There'll always be a Sarah that is dead 
to what God wants you to do in your life, but God help us to get beyond that. Then he disregarded present conditions. The Bible says there in verse 19, now dead. You ever get to a place where you don't have any money? You ever get to a place where you don't have any direction from God? You can't figure out what way to go or what to do? Just trust God. I wrote this one day. Faith, com- faith completion is an invisible project that blossoms into fact, thus becoming reality that can only be manifested by faith. It's an in- there's an invisible work going on in all of our lives. I don't think I've arrived. I don't think I've become everything that God had planned for me in my life, but I want to stay on his workbench that he might be able to do in our lives what he wants to do. There was an operator in a hospital and uh, she was uh, an eavesdropper. You know, it was back in the day. It's not like that anymore, but I'm old enough. You remember they'd have those plugs, they'd plug that in and plug that in and and you know, direct you and get you to places. And uh, that was the way it was in those days. And she would overhear most of the conversations that came in and out of the hospital, especially people that were patients. And uh, she was really kind of a sadistic, evil eavesdropper. But one day a pastor and his wife came in to have a baby. And the mother had the baby, the pastor's wife had the baby. And the baby was handicapped. It was born evidently, permanently handicapped. And so the wife that had the baby, she wanted to put a call through to her mother. And so she did, and the the, uh, eavesdropper, this operator, she was hoping to hear a Christian a pastor's wife, distraught, defeated, mad at God. And so she listened in. And this is what she heard as the young lady called her mother. She said, Mom, God has blessed us with a handicapped baby boy. But we do not yet know the full extent of the blessing. The operator was stunned. She'd expected hysteria. She thought she'd listened to the broken voice of a crushed Christian mother. Well, she liked to gossip. It went like wildfire through that hospital what that mother had told her mother about that handicapped child. The next Sunday morning at that pastor's church, There were 70 nurses and the operator in his congregation that morning. He preached the gospel. He gave the invitation and gave his invitation prayer. And before he could even look up, there were 30 nurses and that operator on the altar in that church and 31 women were saved that morning in that service. You see, in God's divine plan, 
one less than perfect baby boy was born. But 31 souls found Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know an amazing thing? A one-day-old, less than perfect baby was responsible for 31 people being saved. Isn't that amazing that a handicapped child, less than normal, could be a better witness than we are? I have her name here. I won't call it. She was a missionary. She was ill-used by five men on the mission field. She never told the mission board. She never told anyone. She kept it suppressed. Years passed. She's off the field now. She's elderly. She's asked to speak at a ladies' conference. Just before she stood before a group of ladies, hundreds of ladies, the Lord impressed her. I want you to tell what you've been through. She said, not that, Lord. Yes, I want you to tell that. She said, I can't, Lord, I can't. I can't tell that. She followed the Lord's leadership. She told the story how those five men had ill-used her long in her distant past. The invitation was given. Scores of women were in the altar. A young woman came. She was accompanied by her mother. After the service, that girl and her mother went to this lady, I know her, and they stopped there and they said, We'd like to, I'd like to tell you something. She was busy. Other people were talking to her, shaking her hand. Finally, the mother said, you, you, You've got to listen to what I have to say. said, My daughter was raped two years ago. She hasn't spoken for two years. She was so traumatized, she hasn't said one word in two years until tonight at the altar. She said, Jesus, I want you to save me. And he did. You say, what a terrible thing for someone to go through. I think it's probably the worst thing that it could ever happen to a God used it in a miraculous way. You know, sometimes the gold of our life that comes from sorrow and tragedy and heartbreak and difficulty, God can use it because his grace is sufficient for you. Now I want to give you this last thought. He disregarded the time lapse between the promise and the fulfillment. The Bible says there, this is kind of like uh, uh, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not, think, not seen in Hebrews chapter 11. It says there in verse 17, he calleth those things which be not as though they were. He calleth those things which be not as they were. I, Abe, I'm an old man now, God, so what? 
Verse 21 says, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. God help us to realize that he can do anything. God give us faith. Patience is waiting on God to do what he says he can do when he thinks I'm ready for it. David wanted to build. David wanted to build a temple. And I think it was a a wonderful desire, but he was a bloody man. I don't think it had anything to do with him killing Goliath or him killing his 10,000s and Saul just his thousands. I think it had to do with Uriah. That was the bloody man, the blood that he had shed in the wrong way, waiting on God to do what he says when he thinks I'm ready for it. Faith helps other people. Look what it says in verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, verse 24, but for us also. That experience, that evidence of the faith of Abraham, that wasn't just to show that Abraham was a great man. That was to show us four millennia later how great a man God is, how great a one God is. Faith of Abraham helps us to have faith in the same God. Have faith in God, Jesus said one time. The disciples said to him one day, Lord, increase our faith. Horatio Bernard said this, faith has no horizon. It looks beyond life and earth and the ages into eternity. God help us to have faith in him. There are people in this building tonight that have lost loved ones. There are people in this building tonight that have children who have gone astray. They may be saved, but they don't go to church anymore. There's people in this building may have, may have an estranged mate. There are people in this building that have suffered terrible things. Have faith in God. He can do wonderful things. God, may, may God remove from our lives the things that least resemble a true child of God. Is it a lack of faith? Is it an attempt to do things in our own strength, in our own might, in our own wit and wisdom? Remove those things, dear God. My invitation would be simple tonight. Christian, come. Say, Lord, take away from me the things in my life that least resemble what a true child of God should be. God, give me faith. Increase my faith. Build my faith. This situation that seems insurmountable, this mountain that I cannot uh, tunnel through, this valley I can't build a bridge across, this difficulty in my life, help me with it. I'm saying to you tonight, the God of the Bible can help us through whatever we have to face. Trust him tonight. Believe in him. You're here and you're not a Christian. You need to be born again. You need to be saved. The same God that saved me, he can save you. The same God that saved Brother Gravely can save you. 
The same God that saved these that have given testimony of their salvation tonight can save you. May God help us to have our faith increased to the point that we can completely, without doubt, have our faith in 